I would say insecurity is a major problem. If the disciple is an insecure person and finds too much personal gratification from the disciple, then it can become very dangerous. It can become like a cult where you begin to control people and don't give them the freedom to make choices of their own, which sometimes are different to our own choices. And so that is something that the humility part comes in when we realize we are limited people. We are just fostering them to go close to Jesus, not to us. Welcome to the Crossway Podcast, a show where we sit down with authors each week for thoughtful interviews about the Bible, theology, church history, and the Christian life. I'm Matt Tully, and today I'm talking with Ajith Fernando. Ajith currently serves as the Teaching Director of Youth for Christ in Sri Lanka, after serving as the ministry's National Director for 35 years. He and his wife currently live in Sri Lanka, where they work in ministry to the poor, as well as mentoring young pastors and church leaders. He's the author of many books, including Discipling in a Multicultural World from Crossway. Today, Ajith and I discuss the critical importance of personal discipling relationships for every Christian. He shares why he thinks there's a discipleship crisis in the church today, even among pastors and church leaders, how to think about the value of structured discipleship programs, and common mistakes to avoid when entering into a discipling relationship. Let's get started. Ajith, thank you so much for joining us on the Crossway Podcast today. Thank you. Nice to be with you. So you're a prolific author. I think you've written, is it 17 books now or maybe 18 books? Do you know? Yeah, I'm I'm not sure of the exact number, but I think it's either 17 or 18. Okay. And they've been translated into at least 20 languages, could be more than that. Um, You speak at conferences around the world on a fairly regular basis. You do a lot of traveling, I know. And yet you've spent years, uh, really decades, emphasizing the importance, uh, the priority of one-on-one discipleship. Why is that? Well, uh, I began to realize uh, after some time of ministry that um, unless you really invest in individuals, get into their lives, um, very often change towards Christ-likeness doesn't really take place. We have to allow the scriptures to impact people. And one of the ways in which that is done is through personal interaction. And of course, that was the ministry of Jesus. And I've been working with Youth for Christ that works primarily with unchurched youth. And we found that before they get settled in a church, it's very important for us to uh, get them a little more mature in Christ uh, and ready to go out. So you note that discipleship is not something that people take to naturally and that few people are really doing it. And you've, you say you've seen this all around the world, not just in the U.S. or even in the West. Uh, and you even go so far as to call uh, the lack of discipleship a crisis facing the church. Is the situation really that bad? Is there really that little discipleship as you would define it happening? Uh, yes, I, I think there is discipling happening, and that's that's something that we can thank God for. But I think we have to also remember that discipling uh, today is culturally uh, quite incompatible with the way uh, our, our world is moving. Um, uh, we are in a very busy, it's a very busy world with shallow relationships, and the type of commitment that a discipling rela- relationship requires uh, is culturally not all that in, uh, compatible. So people find it inconvenient. Um, discipling involves getting involved in people's lives, in their problems, uh, in struggling with them. So, so that's one aspect. Uh, I think the, uh, our culture is not so friendly with the type of commitment that discipling requires. And also, 
the type of spiritual accountability that discipling requires, where people are willing to open up and talk about their own lives, that too, uh, you know, we decide what we are going to share with people. Of course, we do share a lot on social media, but things that are very personal to us, uh, we don't share uh, that much with others. And so culturally, again, that's a block that we have. And uh, this is, I think, very, uh, uh, very serious today because people have a very private life, especially on the Internet. And it's so important that they have help uh, in with regard to that private life. Otherwise, they could get into uh, pathways, habits that could be very destructive for them. But uh, there is this threat that somebody is going to invade my personal life. Well, yeah, what is it? What are those pathways? You mentioned the internet specifically, uh, that there's this private life there. What are you getting at uh, on that front? Well, well, the most obvious thing is the pornography. Uh, and, but then there is uh, spending time on, in chat rooms, in uh, things like uh, social media, uh, just the whole idea. I mean, even us <laughs> who are mature Christians, who've been Christians for a long time, I find it helpful to share with my uh, accountability partners how I'm faring. Uh, for example, this morning, I sent a letter to my uh, two accountability partners saying that I find I'm wasting time uh, doing email when I should uh, b- before I start my devotions and that I will not open my email until I have finished my devotions in the morning. Now, <laughs> this is something that I, I, I suddenly found I'm getting into. So uh, all of us, uh, this type of world that hit us so suddenly and with so much uh, with so much force, I think we need to be able to maneuver uh, in this world with a little help rather than all alone. Yeah, you you mention uh, in your book and and you've mentioned it elsewhere as well that this discipleship crisis. Uh, extends to even church leaders and pastors. It's not just the the laity that are struggling with this, but church leaders, perhaps even more importantly, aren't doing this uh, in the full way that you you see Scripture laying out. What would you say to the pastor who is maybe leading a smallish church, doesn't have a lot of other support, not a lot of people on staff, and he's his weeks are just busy. He's he's preparing to preach every Sunday, and uh, he. He really views preaching as the most important task he's been called to and really wants to give it uh, the time that it's due. And then has all the kind of daily, weekly rhythms and duties that he has to deal with, counseling situations, what have you. How how would you advise him when it comes to uh, what you're calling for in your book, one-on-one, intentional, time-intensive discipleship? Well, actually, I must say that I've had the same struggle. Uh, I was the head of an organization. I'm very involved in my church. And um, and this this is something that is a major struggle for me also. But uh, I think we make time for what we consider to be important. So uh, what we need is to put this in our priority list of things that are important that we need to be doing. And, um, and you can't disciple too many people. And I think uh, discipling also does not necessarily have to be one-on-one all the time. It could be a small group of people that you take up and help. In fact, Jesus' group was a small group. Uh, His method of discipling was more a group discipling rather than entirely a one-on-one type of thing. So I think if we can can make it a priority, uh, then 
we can institute a culture. I think this is the problem. We don't have a culture of discipling in our churches. Uh, and the leader has to be the one who sets that culture uh, in place. People must know that he's doing it, uh, that he does give time for individual work like that. And uh, I think it is possible, though there are a lot of, uh, lot of pitfalls along the way. How would you see uh, an intentional discipleship relationship and that kind of uh, activity in the life of a pastor relative to the task of preaching? What, how would you rate those in terms of priorities? Uh, uh, well, I, I think uh, our primary calling is to be preachers, and we have to spend time preparing. I mean, I'm very, very committed to that. I, I really feel that one of the reasons why expository preaching is not very popular today is that it takes a long time to study the scriptures and then to apply it to the audience. So I think that is very important, but uh, both are important. Uh, I, I don't like to speak so much about priorities, uh, but rather about obedience. Uh, God wants me to invest in people. God wants me to study the scriptures and to teach out of that study. So we just learn to give time for both. So you discuss Christian discipleship as, you call it spiritual parenthood. Uh, why is it that you have chosen that primary metaphor when discussing this topic? Well, it's a metaphor that uh, parents, that, that the Bible uses. Jesus used it for his disciples. Paul used it for uh, people like Timothy and Titus and Onesimus. Peter used it for Mark. And so it seems to be a type, a model. And then Paul refers to churches, the Thessalonian church, the Corinthian church, as his children. He speaks of him as himself as a mother to the Galatians and to the Thessalonians. He speaks of him as a father uh, to the to the Corinthians. So, uh, so this is a metaphor that is used regularly in the Bible so I think it's a it's a good uh, it's a good way to describe Christian leadership. Yeah, what are some of the some of the other specific facets that you think uh, are mirrored in Christian discipleship that you might find in parenting? Uh, like, what are some of the the commonalities that make it a good metaphor? Well, I think one of the things is the the, the willingness to spend time uh, with parenting. It's not just quality time that is important; quantity time is also important. And uh, finding time for people we disciple is, uh, is a real challenge. But that is the way trust and affection grows. So time that results in trust, that also results in, uh, in affection, uh, those are key features. But there are others, like uh, once trust has been earned, then we are able to confront people, to challenge them about their personal life. And, um, and then, of course, parents teach. Uh, and Jesus, uh, all the time he was teaching his disciples um, in, in formal settings, but a lot of it in, in informal settings, just chatting about the things of God. Uh, and um, and um, it's very exciting to see the method of Jesus as he trained his disciples. He, he was hiding in Gentile areas, just being with them, teaching them. And so I think um, a discipler also looks for that kind of opportunity that parents would want to chat to their children. Yeah, do you, uh, do you remember a time when you felt discouraged in your discipleship, uh, in, in trying to lead someone else into a deeper walk with Christ? And 
and what happened kind of maybe broadly, what was the situation and how did, how did you kind of work through that period of time? Well, actually, I've had that all the time, in fact. Uh, not everyone whom you try to disciple uh, comes out the way you wish. And some of them, um, you know, even, uh, you know, we, we are working with flawed people. I have particularly had to, had to work primarily with people from dysfunctional families, from non-Christian backgrounds who have no background of Christian behavior. And uh, sometimes they bring us a fair amount of shame by their behavior, but we don't give them up. Uh, but uh, those have been um, things that have gone. Sometimes the, the, the disciples have, you know, sort of fallen into sin and a fairly serious sin, which has been very painful. Uh, but as parents, we don't discard them. We may discipline them, but we don't discard them. Uh, but the other times that I have had uh, failure, I've experienced failure, was when people don't really open up uh, and m make it possible for you to be uh, the type of parent you'd like to be to them. Uh, I've had situations where I've had to work with uh, people for two years before they opened up. Uh, I was asked to lead our drug rehab work and the leaders for some reason uh, were not happy that I was their leader. I was assigned as their leader and, um, and they took a long time to respond to me. Uh, but after a long time, we ended up with a very, very warm and close relationship. Uh, which uh, proceeds even till now, because even in my semi-retirement, uh, drug rehab uh, is one of the key things that I'm still involved in. And people I'm mentoring, several people I'm mentoring are former drug uh, drug addicts. Uh, so that's that's uh, that's the positive side. The negative has been when sometimes I've worked with people for a fairly long time, part, part of the small group in my church, for example, where um, uh, they are, uh, you know, we are a discipleship group, but some of them just refuse to open up. And uh, after trying and trying and trying, uh, you finally have to say, well, it doesn't look like this is going to work. And so those are very disappointing times. But, uh, but I've also found that out of those disappointments come a lot of learning. Um, you, you know, I, I found my failures helped me learn more than my successes because you ask what went wrong, what could I have done differently and things like that. So that uh, the disappointments are helpful. How, how do you know when you're in the middle of meetings with somebody, maybe you've been meeting for a while, how do you know when to keep pursuing them, when to keep working with them and giving them time to maybe be more honest and open up? Uh, and how do you know when to kind of say, this person's not ready, they, they aren't interested in this right now, they're not serious about this, and maybe I'll try again some other day? Uh, I, I think um, you really don't know. Uh, in each situation, it's different. Um, you know, you just give as many, many chances as you can. And, um, and then uh, after some time, if you feel this person is not responding, uh, then you quietly, you know, wind down the relationship. Now, I'm right now having a situation with a person that I, I felt was not really serious with me. Uh, and um, But then when I began to wind down the relationship, he was very uh, upset and he's yearning to meet with me. In fact, I'm meeting with him tomorrow. Uh, and uh, we are going to try and have another uh, try again. So, so I think we have to just be sensitive. I mean, when we disciple people, we pray for them. Just in my case, uh, just like I pray for my family uh, every day, I try to pray for those I disciple every day. 
Uh, and these are the, a major focus of our prayers. So we pray and pray and pray and just hope that the Lord will lead us to the right decision. It's a, it's a very serious decision to make to drop someone. But sometimes uh, that has had to happen. And very often it happens uh, more naturally when you realize, both parties realize this is not working and we just, uh, you know, begin to wind down our relationship. Yeah, you mentioned that failure can sometimes be the the best teacher and that you've learned the most through uh, some of those failures. As you think back on your own life of discipling other people and the things that God has taught you through those difficult moments, what are some of the most common mistakes that you think uh, people can fall into when discipling someone else? And what would you say Christians can do to try to avoid those mistakes? Yeah, I, I think one of the things that is very important to me, I have learned over the years, is that we all have weaknesses. We are not complete parents, uh, and um, we all have our weaknesses. And uh, it's uh, it's helpful that they get input from other people also. Uh, you know, sometimes discipling can become, you know, a very very individualistic type of relationship, which is a very dangerous thing. Discipling always, in fact, in my book, I have a whole chapter on why discipling uh, is a community activity. Uh, there has to be a vital relationship between the discipleship group and the wider body of Christ. And the discipler must always be in accountability, in an accountability relationship with the wider body, in most cases with the church, so that the discipleship group doesn't become like a cult or an elite group or a clique within the, the wider group. And one of the ways in which we can ensure that is to realize that we are limited people and um, our disciples can get help in areas of their uh, need from others. And we could be the ones who uh, sort of engineer that process of that person getting help from others. So it's this, this whole idea of I'm the one who's going to help this person, that can be a very, very dangerous idea. Yeah, on that front, how important is it for disciplers to be equally transparent and open with their own struggles as the person they're trying to disciple? Is that always something that you are doing with people you're discipling? Or are there certain types of relationships where you are, aren't really sharing as much because you know it's more of a, a parent-child type of uh, relationship? Uh, yeah, I think that's, again, you, you can't make a rule about it. Uh, I think um, that I have an accountability group of friends that I've been friends for a long time. And there are things I share with them about my own struggles that I may not share with my, uh, with my discipleship group. But I do share some of that. And, uh, and in fact, I think they find it helpful to know that I'm also struggling. Uh, and, uh, and so I, I do share some of it. Uh, but uh, I think we have to be careful as to how much we share, especially with brand new Christians. Our, um, uh, some of our struggles may discourage them a lot. But on the other hand, it could be encouraging them, uh, uh, encouraging to them to realize that we are also people who are struggling and need each other. What practical advice would you offer to pastors when it comes to fostering that culture of discipleship in their churches? What might that actually look like you know, in those first steps? Yeah, I think, um, again, the pulpit is what gives direction to the church. 
And uh, if there is preaching from the word uh, on the need for relationships of helping each other, I think uh, if there is that direction given from the pulpit, uh, that would be a start. And secondly, I think the pastor uh, needs to be prayerfully looking for people who are open to being uh, discipled. Now, uh, as a pastor, you can't concentrate only on those people. You need to be visiting. You need to be doing uh, general general parenting of the whole congregation is an is an aspect of pastoral leadership. Uh, but uh, they need to be looking to see whether there are people who can uh, get a closer mentoring so that they can do that. And then uh, little by little, uh, the, the idea grows that these people also can mentor others. So it's a culture that comes, um, I, I think on the one hand, there should be formal teaching and then there should be of uh, there should be um, exemplifying it through your life uh, now i think discipleship programs can be helpful but uh, the, the what i mean is uh, things that are structured highly structured using workbooks and things like that those can be helpful but i don't think that is the base i think the base is more a scriptural conviction that this is what god would want me to do and those tools can and methods can be helpful. Hmm. So, as we've mentioned already before, you discuss discipling as spiritual parenthood. And as all parents who are listening would probably know and have experienced, uh, sometimes parenting can be pretty hilarious and often because of how awkward it can be. And uh, as you look back over your own, your own life uh, as a spiritual parent to others, are there any kind of funny, awkward moments that stand out? And then is there something that God taught you through an awkward conversation or an awkward comment uh, like that? Yeah, actually, I can't, I can't think of awkward situations, but embarrassing situations, yes. Uh, where I have had to, you know, there was a time when there was a group that I, I mentioned this uh, about the drug rehab work that I was asked to supervise. I was trying to be a spiritual parent to the staff. But actually, in my first few months, I was more a beggar than a parent. I was virtually pleading with them, please accept me, please accept me, please accept. Not, not in my words, but in my actions. I would visit their homes. I would visit the parents of those who are, who are unmarried. And um, I would, uh, um, so uh, it, was, it was awkward because I was the National Director of Youth for Christ. I was their leader. And here I am begging from them, please accept me. But uh, even Paul had that situation where he was telling the, uh, the Corinthians, you know, I have opened up my heart to you. Will you please open your heart to me? Uh, th there was a young person once uh, whom I was discipling who was always fighting with his mother. And, you know, when you're working with youth, one of the things that uh, comes up in discipling all the time is your relationship with your parents. And, um, and this guy, he was, when he gets angry with his mother, he would scold him. Uh, her, you know, in, in bad language. And so I would ask him, every time I meet him, I asked him, how are things with your mom? And one day he said, oh, I really scolded her that, and uh, and used bad language on her. So I told him, before I meet you the next time, you must apologize to your mom and I'm going to ask you. Uh, so I used to meet him every week. And, uh, and after uh, the whole week went and he didn't apologize. Now he was leaving to come and see me. 
And just before leaving home, he ran up to his mother and said, Ajit asked me to ap- apologize to you and I'm apologizing and ran out of the house, <laughs> you know. And uh, he, uh, but I think that helped him. He became a very good son who really looked after his mother when she was old. But, uh, but uh, there was this situation where the requirement to apologize was, uh, was fulfilled at the last moment. <laughs> that is funny. Uh, your comments about just being willing to uh, be embarrassed as a discipler and and kind of humble yourself and go you know pursue people in a way that opens up your own heart and that that just strikes me that there there's an element where humility is an important part of a discipler's character in pursuing other people. How would you describe the the role that humility needs to play on the dangers of discipling? More than humility, I, I would say the the insecurity is a major problem. Uh, if you're an, if 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 the disciple is an insecure person and finds personal too much personal gratification from the disciple, then it can become very dangerous. You you know it can become like a cult where you begin to control people and uh, and don't give them the freedom to make choices of their own, which sometimes are different to our own choices. Uh, you know and. And so that, that that is something that that we, the the humility part comes in when we realize we are limited people. We are just uh, you know fostering them to go close to Jesus, not to us. Uh, we have to be very careful about finding too much uh, ego gratification from our disciples. That has to come from God, and we have to somehow get them. Uh, depending less and less on us and more and more on the word and their relationship with God. Yeah, do you find like that's an easy temptation as a discipler to maybe not even intentionally, but maybe uh, unintentionally cultivate a dependence on you as the discipler? Yeah, I think it's a very common thing. It has happened in a lot of movements. It happens in our movement. And this is something we have to just keep, uh, keep reminding people, keep reminding people. Uh, for us in Youth for Christ, for example, our job is to bring people who are outside the church and send them into churches. So once they go into the churches, a lot of them have no more contact with us. And we have to just keep telling them, remember, we ha- they have to leave us. They have to leave us. They have to go and get involved in the church. So the, 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 the things like that are things that, that we have to be very careful about. If a parent gets too possessive of their children, they will rebel and leave very hurt or they will sort of subsume their individuality uh, under the identity of this discipler. And uh, that ends up in a very uh, cultic sort of unhealthy situation. So as you uh, look out at evangelical Christianity around the world, uh, Bible-believing, conservative, gospel-loving Christians— in churches where the Bible is preached faithfully, uh, you mentioned that you do see this crisis in discipling uh, at play across the board. But is there anything encouraging to you uh, related to discipleship that you're seeing? Uh, I, I think one one thing that encourages me is that people are talking about the need for it. Uh, when I was writing my book, I saw so many new books on discipling. And that's a sign that the church is serious about it. Uh, so that's 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 been very uh, very encouraging, uh, but I think because it is culturally so uh, distant, this lifestyle is culturally so distant to the more individualistic way of living 
that is become so much part of our culture uh, i think it's a challenge to have people to change their behavior but the interest and the talk about discipling is i think a very encouraging thing well ajith thank you so much for taking some time today to talk with us on the crossway podcast and to share some of the wisdom that you've gleaned over the years when it comes to parenting another person in christ uh, we really appreciate you taking the time thank you and it's been nice to talk to you too matt that was Ajith Fernando on the importance of personal discipling relationships. For more, be sure to check out his book with Crossway, Discipling in a Multicultural World, available online or at your local Christian bookstore. For more interviews like this, subscribe to the Crossway podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast player. If you enjoyed this episode, leave us a review, which helps us spread the word about the show. Crossway is a not-for-profit Christian ministry that exists solely for the purpose of proclaiming the truth of God's Word through publishing gospel-centered content. Visit us today at crossway.org.